Welcome to the Real Deal Podcast. Man, it has been too long. Uh, sorry for the break. And uh, Maddie Marshall, I'm stoked to have Ryan Greenspan and Scotty Kemp fresh back from their perilous, life-threatening adventure sailing a rickety sailboat all the way down to, uh, to Cabo San Lucas. I uh, can't wait to hear about this. I'm, I'm happy to see them alive, honestly, because um, it was definitely a shady adventure, probably one of the shadiest they've ever been on. So we'll get into that for sure. Uh, also, uh, you know, the NXL, uh, the first NXL event wasn't too long ago, and Scotty's team, X-Factor, ended up taking second. Very controversial finish to the semifinal game between X-Factor and Dynasty, so we got two members of those teams here to discuss the uh, the ins and outs of that very controversial call um, with Spica, with that vicious, Ryan, that just vicious calls, overshooting. Calls. calls, plural, sorry, yeah. So can't wait to get going here. I can't wait to hear this story. Um, it's, I, you know, honestly, and everyone that goes on perilous adventures, you're always like, oh, everyone's going to make it, but no bullshit. I was uh, worried for you guys with the hurricane and the state of the boat and – um, and then the updates that I was getting, nothing was favorable. Uh, it didn't look like morale was very high. Or pretty pretty that, ominous updates. Yeah, very ominous updates. And uh, you guys are, you know, homies <laughs> are back in the day. So I was legitimately scared for your lives. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But, again, um, you know, again, as anyone that lives on this plane of reality knows, everything revolves around support. So we thank you for your support. And we need you guys to support the people that support us to bring you these stories and to hope that we can continue to bring you these stories. And this podcast is brought to you by Die Precision. They actually have uh, some sales going down here uh, starting this week. Um, it's going to be starting online Friday, June 26th at 9 a.m. PST. And the specials end July 24th. So you got a big, about a month to, uh, to get some of the core dye products. Uh, so all, in all, all R2s and uh, 2015 print I4s, they got a special going on right now. Um, so basically like the stock R2s, those are the new rotors with the expanded capacity. Scotty, I think you guys are sponsored yeah. with R2s. Um, and then the, uh, the, the Dove I4s, the ones with prints. Um, so they got a 299.95 special on those. Um, and then a 249 special as well. <clears throat> Check your local dealers and online for the exact details. Um, they have in stock uh, 2015 print rotors and I4s for um, as your standard rotors uh, for 249. And if you buy a Reflex, you get an ultralight barrel for uh, for free, so it saves you about 100 bucks. Uh, and then if you buy any Navigator Explorer or Register, you get a shirt and a short for free, saves you about 80 bucks. So again, special thanks to Die Precision, who are supporting us. And again, you know, I mean, there's no bullshit, man. That's how the world rotates. Uh, money, just like you guys need the money to take the Fandango south. You just need money to have paintball. You know, if you guys need to spend money on things, we need to spend money in order to bring you this podcast. So help us um, support, you know, support the podcast by supporting uh, those that help us out. So thank you to Die Precision. All right, so let's get into this. Um, so much to talk about, man. And uh, again, we, we apologize for the break here with the podcast, but as everybody knows, craziness has ensued in the paintball world. Um, but things have got up and running again. The first NXL events in the books. Uh, Scott, you guys got really far. Um, so we're going to get a little bit into the tournament, talk a little bit about that, and then uh, and then I got I can't wait to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, can you, you know you guys can't see it, but uh, they have their Mexico. Um, we just sailed into the abyss. Tans on yeah. right now. Uh, Scotty looks like he hasn't done his hair up. The hair hasn't seen a, a bit of pro- one ounce of product in about two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> keeping it going, keeping it flowing, keeping it nice and light. 
so yeah, so all right, well, let's 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 touch base on the first NXL event. So you know, we had a little bit of a break. I know you know you guys play a lot of paintball, Ryan. You've been playing overseas, Scotty. You've been playing overseas this year, right? No, I haven't gone uh, this year or last year. So, uh, but you know, you guys, everyone have been practicing a lot. So that was the big question. You know, heading in was who's going to you know who had had kept their skills up, who was ready to come into this you know first NXL event and. And do well. And X Factor, one of one of the teams just out the break, did incredibly well. You guys went undefeated in the prelims. You beat the Ironman five four. That was a close game. Ironman actually looked really good, mm-hmm. um, even after they lost Marcelo. And then Moscow Red Legion, you guys beat them four two. You beat the breaks off Baltimore Revo eight to one. Um, and then uh, and then four to three over up to one eight seven crew who also did very well at that event. Yeah. So you guys went undefeated in the prelims. So kind of before we get into this, how how were you guys feeling in the prelims? Um, we're feeling good, you know. All the teams are, are great teams, like you said, and they put up a good fight at that event. Um, but, you know, each each game, I felt like we were all stepping it up and improving a little more and a little more, and that's, you know, what it takes to make it to the next round. So we haven't gone 4-0 in a while, and it's a big confidence booster when you are going in um, 4-0 out of your bracket. So... Yeah, and not the easiest bracket. I mean, definitely not the harder bracket, but, I mean, 187 is no joke. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys had a very close game against the Ironman, who I think surprised a lot of people playing as well as they did. Um, and that's a great story, which, you know, what we'll get into in further podcasts. But, um, but then, you, you know, you, the, the problem with X Factor is you guys are so inconsistent, you know. I mean, it's sometimes you're dominating people, and the other times you're blowing leads and losing mm-hmm. games you shouldn't, you shouldn't lose. So to see you guys play that consistent, uh, definitely looking like you guys were going to be a favorite – um, and then Ryan, on the flip side, you guys <coughs> didn't have the best prelims, um, but you had a, a pretty decently hard bracket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had damage in your bracket, you had Houston Heat in your bracket, two of the top seeds there. Right. Uh, you lost both those games. Um, uh, the the damage game a little bit more so it was a two to five score. Uh, Houston Heat was a really close one. Yeah, that was another one where we lost in the last thirty seconds. Um, yeah, but I know. mean, but you guys look good though. I don't think the scores really mm-hmm. indicated which. And and honestly, when I was picking brackets. I was like, uh, you know, I'm always so torn when I'm, you know, sitting there with our friends off camera, just just hanging out, drinking beers, trying to figure out who we think is going to win the event. And I was like, well, you know, historically, when Dynasty squeaks in two and two and barely makes it in, that's the team you don't you don't want to play that Dynasty team on Sunday, right? Well, we, we did squeak in, and I mean, in my opinion, and I think everybody on the teams and a lot of our fans is we probably would have won that event had that controversial call uh, not had actually just gone in the correct way. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a doubt in it. We, we turned it up for Sunday. We played a lot better um, against X Factor than we had in those other previous games. With the exception of those, uh, there were two points for our very first two points, and there were um, uh, those last couple really fast, you know, crazy points. But, you know, our, our prelims, we were – we struggled a little bit. And, and, you know, you're right, the scores weren't really uh, – you know, didn't really show exactly what had happened in the games because they were all close or some were a little, little um, larger um, deficits than the other. But – you know, it was like some small mistakes. We, we're trying something a little new with running ten guys uh, rather than what we usually did with nine. Because um, you picked up Marcelo. We picked up Marcelo, and everybody's playing really well. You know, and another another big issue is right now in Southern California, there aren't any teams to practice. There's no good pro teams. Well, there's no pro teams, really, mm-hmm. actually. So there's not very many good teams. So not, not to say that, that the practices that we had were awful by any means, but it definitely gives you a false sense of reality when you're practicing against a divisional team and you're just, you know, beating the brakes off of them, you know, if, if X-Factor had practiced Re- Revo every weekend and well, that was, it was eight to one 
in every match of your practices. And, and, and also, contrary to popular belief, mm-hmm. it's not like Dynasty has a huge budget to just fly wherever they want and practice no, pro teams. And sometimes you guys will have, because you know, everyone wants to come to San Diego and it's really nice out here. Yeah, and you get good that's, weather that's, on a regular that's, our, that's one of our things. It's like, hey, we'll give you a good, good practice and it's like nice weather. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to come out to San Diego for a weekend. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, so, beach. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so you guys do have people to come play you guys sometimes, mm-hmm. but you don't have it in your budget to go no. and travel to Texas to play X Factor. Right. I mean, maybe... Every now and then, you guys will be able to do something. When was the last time you guys traveled to, to practice? I think I think it was last year. We practiced X Factor. Um, we flew out there, you know, and and that was actually a huge help from Alex Martinez, their owner. He was like, "Look, I'll I'll get you guys hotels, all your this and that. I'll help you with paint." Um, so that's the big thing. Is you're right. There's a there's a budget issue, and we have we have ten guys. Uh, we have awesome sponsors in. Um, right now with our paint from ANS, uh, we have, you know, HK Army and, and Eclipse who are helping out as much as they can. But it's, it's tight, you know, especially these days with, you know, these mega budget teams, um, Houston Heat, Impact, uh, well, Damage isn't a big budget team anymore. But, you know, it's so difficult to keep really good talent because other teams are offering ridiculous salaries. Well, you're mentioning Damage because leading up into leading this, up to this year, year, which what makes Damage such an interesting story themselves, yeah. mm-hmm. is they were one of those teams that was throwing money. They had stolen Dalton from you guys, right. and now you got Dalton back. And, you know, it, with three teams throwing money around, I mean, that's all, you know, that's, it's hard yeah. for guys that are struggling in their early 20s to say no yeah, to, to say 50 no. grand. You right, know? And, that's, and that's what we told all of our guys. It's like, look, man, if you guys, if you're, this is your life, you know? But I, I think we spoke about that a little bit in our Yeah, we've uh, talked about that in previous things. But, yeah, you know, budgets are an issue. And, and unless we have a team that wants to come to San Diego at this point, we can't, we can't afford to travel to another event or, you know, and create another event. Because that's what it ends up costing you, you know, with the exception of entrance fee. Uh, we're paying for 10 flights, 10, you know, rooms, 10 this, that, and the other thing. So what is different then about that 10-man roster than previous um, that you're, you know, you're, you're trying different Yeah, stuff? you know, we're, we're trying a little different because we're running all 10 guys rather than, you know, if you look at X Factor, they're only running like, what, seven or eight guys? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Impact runs uh, a, a light, you know, line. Uh, Heat runs, you know, eight guys, seven guys. When they're up, they'll, they'll put in the sixth man, you know. Um, so we're running 10, 10 solid dudes, but you know if one person's having an all like an off match or an off point here and there, it's like how you know Rusty Rusty gives and everybody has confidence in each other, but it's like where does that confidence line, it, where's that line drawn? And <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that anybody didn't or underperformed, but it also with this split deck with 10 guys. I'm playing a point that lasts a minute, and then I have to wait nearly 10 minutes before I can play again. Depending on how long. That Depending on how long it yeah. is, but it's a minimum a minimum of you know uh, four 45 second breaks plus the other game. Yeah. You know, so I'm waiting a long time, uh, the, the other two matches, sorry, before I can go back on the field. So, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it just, it kind of throws people off their rhythm, you know, and so the split deck has a little bit to do with it. Um, and then just not, I mean, for me personally, I would play two points and sit one. I play two, sit one, play two, sit one. And I think the rhythm of nine guys is a little bit smoother or a, or a lighter, lighter line. Um, but we do rely heavily on all our guys and we have, confidence in everybody so you know and that's and that's the thing is we fixed that for sunday and that's why we were so stoked and that's also why we were so bummed with those calls is because everybody turned up on sunday and and came to win and and, you know granted like i said we we screwed up on four of the points it was basically four of the points it was the first two we lost we should never lost those yeah i was and and that's always one of those frustrating things because you know bad calls happen Mm -hmm. and we've all been there before sure 
But it's 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 extra frustrating because then inside you're always like, and we would. This is one of those things we would always say to each other, you know, coming up forever. And this is just one of those paintball cliches. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have left it that close, you know. But it's tough when you're playing a team that's yeah. that good. You yeah, know? I mean, it's not like it's not like we're playing like hacks. It's like, oh, yeah. you, you, and then the argument was like, playing you should have never, yeah, you should have never left. Yeah, and then there, some of them were like. You never should have let us come back. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have. You're absolutely right. We well, should have. Made, you know what? We should have never lost a single tournament. <laughs> Jackass. Thanks, Archie. Like we know that. We understand what the position we put ourselves in. However, we also had won that match. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. So, well, it's yeah, true. My bad. It, it, I'm it, sorry. I got it, that it, close. Well, they're not. It's not that they're wrong, and that is true. Right. But you're not wrong either, right. because that's no bullshit as well. Yeah, you know? like, I, I, you it's know. really hard, man. You're but, playing against these dudes who want to <laughs> yeah. take your head off. They took every second place. Point. You know, yeah. it's not like you know, and they they barely lost to Impact, and it's, so it's not like it's not like. Oh shit, kid on Instagram, you're right. I shouldn't have let it come that close. Oh wait, Archie, you're right. Oh, I'm an idiot. We shouldn't have let you guys score two thirty second points. My bad. <laughs> I, maybe I'll be, we're gonna write. Hey, we'll have Rusty write that into our next game uh, game plan. Is like, hey, uh, take Archie's advice and uh, Instagram uh, kid wx paintball fan three. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry, dude. I understand that that part of paintball. It's it's it is it's <laughs> difficult because as much as that is true, it's very frustrating because you're playing in a world of paintball where you literally have the best paintball players on planet Earth. Right. There are. It's so hard to make mistakes out there mm-hmm. because if you make mistakes. The, the, the difference between, you know, watching all those games all the, over these years and, and seeing the level of divisional play get a lot better. Like, the level of divisional play over the past yeah. five years is, is, has grown astronomically. But the big difference is the timing. And it's, that's to say with a lot of professional sports. I mean, you see these monsters out there playing in college football, and it, to the uninitiated person that doesn't watch any football, they, there's no difference between that and the NFL. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the little small things, those just the way coverages work or the way routes are run or, like, you know, it, it, how you attack off the line, like you just – there's way less margin for error in making mistakes. So that's a situation you find yourself in, and you're playing against an X-Factor team that was, one, really hungry to win again right. and undefeated thus far. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it was it – was was definitely it was a tough thing, man. Yeah, it was and heartbreaking I, and for I, you guys, yeah. really. You know, and I think you, you could tell that from your guys's reaction. You know, for sure. People, a lot of people are like, "Oh, well, why did Greenspan flip out, or why this or that?" And it's like, well, you know, bad calls yeah. happen. It's like, yeah, dude, bad calls happen, but put yourself in that situation. You yeah, know? I mean, it's been a long time since the last event. Everybody wants to win. You yeah, know? it's it's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion mm-hmm. involved there, and it's tough to hold your tongue when it comes down to times like that. Oh yeah, you know, especially when it, and it's almost falling on deaf ears. It's like, okay, what you guys didn't realize is the the first uh, several times of us a- a- asking for an explanation fell on deaf ears. So. Well, let's let's kick it up to level thirteen and start start <laughs> screaming obscenities. Right, well, I, I wanted to wait until the end, but since we're already in, I wanted to kind of like get into the crazy, almost dying adventure you guys just did. But we, since we're here, we might as well talk about it. Take me into the exact moment when you realized shit was going south. Like, at what point did you? I mean, because and also that's another crazy thing too is that you know you you it's such a pendulum swing of emotion. You know, you go from thinking. Yes, that's it. I think we just won the game to, oh, no, there's a penalty. Oh, to, oh no, the penalty's really bad, and now we're not even going to get the point. So well, take me to what, what, walk me through the situation from your eyes. Yeah, you know, like I was, I was on that Dorito side, um, and I had shot Archie, and I saw Kyle running up there. Um, I knew he wasn't hit. We'll also paint the picture for everyone at home. Okay, so it's a really tie, close game. So we're tied up against X Factor with. In the semifinals. In the semifinals with one minute uh, remaining on the clock. Uh, we break out, and, you know, obviously we want to win the point because that's just kind of what you want to do, but we also don't want to make any mistakes because something, like, crazy could happen. Um, 
So we and, end up and shooting also, a couple and, and, guys. And, and as we're watching it, we're also thinking like, okay, is this going to be like a standard kind of traditional breakout pocket mm-hmm. play? Don't risk much. Right. And then are these teams going to play to go to overtime, or is a team going to step up right. and try to take the victory? Well, and, that, and that's one of the things that we had fixed, uh, I think, with our game planning, is we started putting two guys out on the Dorito side um, and attacking a little bit more. Like, Rusty allowed me to kind of go over there a little bit more. He allowed Marcelo to start playing, you know, up there with Dalton and, and, and Blake, and that kind of freed up our center guys as well. So, anyway, you know, we got a couple of quick kills and uh, on both sides, and, and X-Factor was locked in the pocket. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things that had, had – hurt us in the prelims was being stuck in the pocket while the other teams are wide. So you have a huge advantage. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, you know, the clock's coming down, and Kyle, who was having an amazing uh, day that thus far, and a great, he was doing a great – had a great tournament, um, you know, was overly overexcited and kind of just ran down the field. And, and rather than kind of, like, looking for clock management – and I don't want to come down on him for making a mistake because he literally made zero mistakes. <coughs> um, you know, if he had stopped for a second – we could have, uh, you know, checked each other over and then let the clock burn. But the funny thing is, Ryan Brand's a really good, smart coach. Yes. I don't know why he didn't blow the horn, which is something that, like, I'm not saying there was any conspiracy going on by any means, but uh, there was one thing when we were talking about it, like, why wouldn't he blow the horn? Well, maybe he was so swept up in the moment. In the moment of, I think of, of watching even the a team. good coach, like, we gave him coach, when we were sitting yeah, there, like, no, he was going to get awards, that. we gave him coach of the, the tournament award because he was just coming out with awesome plays. I mean, obviously, you guys were executing those plays for the most part. It kinda, right. That hurt you guys towards the end. That's why you guys lost the tournament. But um, but he was coming up with really good ballsy plays. You sure. know, that was tough. Yeah. So maybe he just got swept in. Maybe, like, oh, yeah, shit, maybe he was just watching, like, on? what's going on, and he, he, he missed the clock or something like that. But generally, a, a coach would blow the horn right there to conserve time so they can come back and try to score the next point. Um, however, that wasn't the case. So maybe he was hoping that one of us would get a penalty. I don't know. I never, I, I'm going to ask him when I see him uh, next weekend in London. I'll be just kind of like, that was kind of odd that you didn't blow the horn. Because, uh, again, anyway, so Kyle, uh, I shoot Archie out. Um, the second I shoot Archie, well, within seconds of Archie calling himself out and doing one of his famous slow walks off the field, kind of what Oliver always does. And Dave Baines yes. always does is yeah. the look back and like, like how the oh how like that happened shot. but like yeah. oh I know that the clock's still burning down so maybe I can save some more time yeah um, so I shoot him out and he kind of like slowly gets up and is meandering off Kyle meanwhile is running like a missile straight at the back center can't see him there's no refs calling him out because all the only refs that are on the field on that side were on the snake corners uh, which were the two guys who ended up calling the penalty on him so as he ran by with one hand he shoots him one time in the pack. Uh, and kind of, I think, at the same time, notices that he's eliminated. And in the same swoop, hits the buzzer. Mm-hmm. So then the guys throw. Uh, so I, I saw Kyle do that, and then I see two miners go up in the air. Okay, so uh, two things went through my head. One, I looked around, and I saw that we still had four players alive. I saw three of them were all kind of standing by the back center, kind of figuring out, like, looking at Kyle, like, he's not hit. What just happened? Mm-hmm. So I looked at the clock, ran over there, and hit the buzzer again. Because the miner is a one-for-one. And there was four guys left We alive. had four bodies alive. Miners are one for one. You pull one body. Because I'm playing in Europe. These are European rules. I've been playing in Europe for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like I, know, I know the rules. It's like I've, I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, so I run over there, hit the buzzer again, and I go, hey, Blake, touch the buzzer. Because the refs are like – the refs are all confused because nobody knows why the penalty was thrown except for the two guys who randomly threw it. So I'm trying to figure out – and they're like, well, is he hit? And I'm like, Kyle, are you hit? He's like, No. And all the other guys were still standing there. The other two kind of meandered, kind of walked over slowly. Mm-hmm. And the, all the refs, nobody knew what was going on exactly. They, they assumed he was hit. And they're like, okay, well, let's check everybody. No one had any hits on him. So, he, so I said, look, we still have bodies alive. That's still our point. I hit the buzzer. The ref was even like, hey, stop touching the buzzer. 
know, because the clock had already stopped. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure that they could see that what, that's what we we're doing. Um, and so I was like, what's the deal? And then they said, oh, it's an overshooting penalty. And then we're like, he's like, Kyle was like, what are you talking about? I shot him one time in the pack. Like, how is that overshooting? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there was a mistake, then I get it. However, the penalty wasn't called, and this is one of our arguments that we were trying to convey to CJ, and we brought to his attention in the rule book as well, was Kyle, regardless of the overshooting penalty, had he even actually legitimately overshot him? Well, also, I think Archie caught a couple other balls. I mean, yeah, it's four on on one, and he walked out of the back center. He he caught a couple. He caught from some, maybe Yosh or something. Maybe Yosh Yosh or something like that. Yosh and I were both shooting at him, like... He maybe caught three paintballs maximum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been the victim of an overshooting penalty, and I don't give a shit. Oh, my stance on that is I can't I know what stand the overshooting penalty. I don't think the overshooting penalty, unless it's in a malicious intent malicious, to harm, yeah. should be in the rule books. It currently is, and that's something that I would like but to a shot, changed. Yeah. Um, because it leaves this open for interpretation of what we're talking about. Yeah, it should be a malicious thing. Like, if I get knocked out, then okay, that sucks. But look, that's like an NFL football player saying, oh, he tackled me too hard. Or you hit him a little too hard. Yeah. Now I understand but, below yeah, the but, knees but least, or, or but, something but crazy the like that. Is that in football there, there's physical contact, and so you have massive amounts of brain trauma that can actually happen that could you know get somebody Alzheimer's, and then they go off and kill their of kids course. and crash their car and kill themselves like in the future. And paintball, right. this is what I'm saying. I'm arguing yeah. that oh, point. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that no, I, I, I hate. I've always this has been my point since day one. I've hated this since the beginning because we used to get back when we were when the NXL first started and it was 22 balls a second. We were getting cut in half with chainsaws, dude. Right. It was 25 balls a second, insane shit. And so I just I hate anything that takes away from the game itself. And I don't think that ticky tack bullshit at the end should play a factor. And I just I hope that that's something that as the league moves forward, that, right. that gets changed. And, and and that was one of the arguments that Alex had when we we're standing out on the on the sidelines. And I think you had mentioned you're like, oh, here comes Alex. You can continue to come give him a piece of his mind. He's like, dude, you can't call that penalty on this sort of play. Like, we're this is there's thirty. We just scored a thirty second point. We're now supposed to be up by one in the semi in the quarterfinals, going onto the semis in a huge game that was tied up. Like, you're gonna make a call like that to determine the outcome of the game. Like that is yeah, that's what that's what makes it even more frustrating. Now, now had they called us something like that, which was a ridiculous call anyway, because against obviously there's no malicious intent there, and that's what the way the rule read. Um, had they called it like at two to three or four to two, or I don't know. And I could see the I could see that penalty getting called if it's a malicious intent. Right. Again, if somebody's like bearing down on somebody, exactly. shooting them in their ear. Uh, ear hole, like intending to hurt them, then I could see that that's where that penalty sure. should come into play. Right. Which uh, which happened to me in Dallas against Infamous, but I turned around and said, I don't care. I signed up for this. I yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not asking for someone to get a penalty, you know, but make it consistent at least. Now anyway, so the way the rule pl- book reads, and which is one of the other reasons that we're aside from the fact of having four guys alive still, mm-hmm. um, and having that just be a one for one penalty. What what the rule book states is unless Kyle was eliminated, he still scored the buzzer. The refs didn't call him eliminated until after he pushed the buzzer. That's when they assessed that penalty. Now, had he stood over the top of Archie, shot him a hundred times in the back of the head, the refs call the penalty, and then he gets then he gets that malicious call before he hits the buzzer. Then yeah, he was eliminated. He was an eliminated player touching the buzzer. However, he was never s- signaled out, so therefore he was alive. He was the penalty wasn't called until after the point was over. Okay. Uh, so therefore, we touched the buzzer with a live player. Plus, we had four bodies. There were so many things that were working in our, our, our favor. And the point when I knew it was slipping out of our hands is because most of the refs didn't know what was going on. And when he radioed in, he said, all right, no point. And I was like, no, that's wrong. So Alex was already yelling at CJ. So was and Crandall and, and Did Rusty. Did Alex play that point? 
Uh, no, he ran on the field to yeah, be like, hey, I, I see what you guys that. are trying to do. We yeah. can see what you're trying to do. And this happens to a dynasty all the time. We see what you guys are trying to do. Like, this is, this is BS. Like, you can't call that in this, this juncture in, in, in the game. So anyway, you know, we ran over there, and we knew we had to play a 30-second point. We're like, okay, we're kind of like – and I'm still like, hey, look, this is the rules. These are the rules. And Eric Crandall's like, these are the rules. And they're like, you got to play the next point. So we walk on the field with five guys, and at, four, at five seconds, they're like, oh – no, you guys got another one-for-one. One. You got a one-for-one, one, so you can only play with four, which, again, didn't make any sense. So if you notice, we started – Blake ran off the field when the clock was at five seconds because they told us right then, oh, yeah, no, we assessed the one-for-one, one and we're still going to pull another body, which was, doesn't even make sense either because we had, again, four players alive. Mm-hmm. So there was no one-for-one. One. They assessed another wrongful penalty. Well, I think – so. well, then – because you guys so, ended up no, starting with three. No, so now – here's where it shit? goes. So now there's a 30-second point. We start, we're kind of running down the field. I end up in the 50 Dorito. Clock ends. And I turn around. Now, I'm livid at this point that, A, they didn't stop the clock and say, let's, let's take a technical timeout and try to, try to realize, like, realize what the, the thing is. And this is where we had already, uh, you know, politically correctly uh, had said, this is what the rules are. This is what's going on. Crandall was was Hold now. On. I now think this you guys is where about no. twenty five seconds going down the political correct route because it seemed like mass pandemonium. It was mass pandemonium, pretty much like right, right. after the initial penalty was called. Right, but Rusty, when, but Rusty and Eric were were had started to speak with the head official. Then yeah. Alex ran over there and went crazy. Yeah. Well, apparently Alex was given a verbal warning. Alex was. Mm-hmm. Well, where so they didn't give a team verbal warning. They just said Alex, stop cussing. This is your warning. Mm-hmm. So at the end of regulation, it was tied up. It should have been plus one on our, on our side. We should have been up by a point. Uh, end of regulation. We, so therefore, we have just now been robbed at that point by a rule that doesn't exist, by rules, several rules that didn't exist after we had explained to them that these are the rules. So I went up there uh, as I was walking off going to get ready again, screaming at pretty much anybody who wanted to listen to me. Uh, oh, I could, I could hear it through my sound uh, canceling headphones. I could hear exactly <laughs> what you were saying. I'm like, you know, this is away. this. This is what's happening. This is what the score is. This is blah 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 blah. Yeah. I wasn't specifically saying it to anybody. I just wanted everybody to know that they made a mistake on that side of the field. Okay. I we go up, we get ready, we make a game plan with five guys, and at 30 seconds, when I'm walking out there, one of the refs goes, "Oh, hey, by the way, uh, you got a penalty." And I go, "When did I get a penalty?" He's like, "You got a major for for." screaming and i go where is this rule and now i'm i'm like heated again because i just want to go out there and win uh-huh. so they're like oh you got a major it's a major mind you yeah <clears throat> a gross major for yelling at thick skin cj the ref uh, the, the head ref well you know you can only call a dude a motherfucker so many times before you're gonna get a penalty it's like when you watch when you watch uh, when you yeah. watch dudes arguing balls and strikes this happens in baseball all the time and this is yeah this is what well, here's the thing with paintball is that I'm, I'm anti the Nazi stance of everything that exists in paintball. Like, you know, the dudes can't argue or they're going to get massive amounts of penalties. Like, all the ticky-tack bullshit because that's not the way it is in most other major sports. So, like, in baseball, for instance, depending on how long you've been in the league, you're allowed to argue every now, a little bit. Like, you can right. say – you can if you were Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn could say something to the refs and, or to the umps. And, but the, and they'll let you speak your piece for a little bit. But when you start going on and going oh, on, over, that's over the when top. they toss you. Right. Now, okay, here, here's so the reason. I think that's now, what Now, here's the here. thing. You get tossed when it interferes with the outcome of the game. I have, I have, I have all the time no, in the well, world. I can paintball, walk off. Not, not in baseball. Not, that's not how it works in baseball. It's not the outcome. It's more of like you're insulting the. You're insulting the guy, but you're, you're also interfe- you're interfering with get, the game. It's like a delay of game. 
when in that sense. When yeah. I'm in the, when I'm in the ump's face and I'm screaming and yelling yeah. and, and he's trying to get the next guy to pitch or do whatever. My point is over. I got two minutes to get ready, and this is me getting ready. Is explaining to you, and now at this point, any verbiage I can get across to go through your thick skull that yeah. you made a mistake. Well, well, the thing is, is that in baseball, there there was this really interesting interview mm-hmm. that was done with the manager of, and it's actually ironic because he just the reason why he was being interviewed by uh, NPR was because he just came out with a book about coaching Little League, because <laughs> he was a he was a pro player, and then. His, uh, the, the organization, the Little League organization that his kid was playing, and they wanted him to come coach. And he was like, okay, I'm only going to come coach if we set certain ground rules because he hated how youth sports had devolved, how you had these really just antagonistic parents, like motherfucking the refs all the time and the umps and like just being assholes, you yeah, know? like Big gulp full of beer. Yeah, exactly. Just, just being totally inappropriate <clears throat> for youth sports. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to come on. But he wrote this kind of like manifesto, essentially. And um, I can't remember the dude's name, but he's the, he's the coach for the Cardinals and uh, the, the manager for the Cardinals. So he wrote this manifesto, and it became this big phenomenon. And so that was kind of one of the reasons he ended up getting this major league job. It was because he was so successful in, like, instituting this big change in youth baseball. But what's ironic about it is that they were talking about two things to him. One was throwing at uh, – intentionally throwing at hitters. And because he's also like a super Christian guy, so he never cusses or anything. So he's a super Christian guy who wrote a manifesto about uh, uh, etiquette in youth sports and how the uh, the players shouldn't, or the about how the the parents should just sit there and be a, a solid um, a bit of support, and, but but be quiet, right? Essentially, like just let the kids have fun. So they asked him about, but now on the professional level, it was about intentionally throwing at people and about the time this one to the first time he got kicked out of a game. And so it was interesting to see a guy coming from this like Christian, really perfect perspective on youth stuff, talk about why he intentionally got thrown out of a game for the very first time, at least when he was managing in in the the, uh, big leagues. And he said he did it because he wanted his players to know that they always had his back. Or that, that he always, he always had, had he back. always had their back and and that he and that, um, so he he went out and it just basically badgered this umpire until he purposely got kicked out and they were losing and but he was proving a point that he always because you know because they were getting what they felt screwed on calls that he was willing to go and argue but that has been par for the coach that's just how it works but mm-hmm. it was funny because he didn't ever cuss at the guy and so afterwards his his uh, his um, assistant manager was like hey can I talk to you he's like yeah and he's like. Um, what did you say to him up there? He's like, he's, he's like, oh, I just gave him a piece of my mind. And he's like, well, did you cuss at him? He's like, no. He's like, let me get this straight. You didn't cuss at the guy and you got tossed out of a major league ball game? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I think that's the first time that that's ever happened. <laughs> um, and then uh, he also was speaking about throwing at guys intentionally and how that is. And he's like, I know this is kind of contradictory um, uh, for me to say this, but I, you have to protect your guys. And so every now and then it's kind of necessary to throw at guys that are either throwing at you or because – you know, because there's a lot at stake. And this is a guy that got his jaw broken once by getting hit with a pitch, you know. So it's a fine line, and it's just something that I think that in paintball, because we've been trying to control it so much for so long, and, and I understand that there has to be an element of control, but you have to also let these professionals, guys like yourselves, have a say to a certain point. You know, sure. you still, the refs still have to be in control of the game or it will descend into anarchy, and then it's just be streetball. I mean, that would be cool to broadcast too one sure. day. We could do a streetball event, but that's not the same because – but well, we actually we thought about that too. We were gonna go stand. That was our. That was our. We were gonna go stand on the field, and, and, just, and, and just wait and just wait until the cops came. 
to, for, to take us for trespassing. You don't understand how upset we were because oh, I understand. I mean, you I saw do. how I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll yell and be like, "This is bullshit." La da 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 here and there, but I rarely ever lose my cool in the 15 years I've been playing pro paintball. And I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, not to that extent. I understand. You're that's that's one time in MAO, I got pissed because the same sort of thing happened. I think it might have been CJ also, you know, and like Oliver loses his cool a lot. And and I mean, I do get really frustrated. I do get angry, and I'll let some people know, but not like that. That, but that you know what though, look, and it's super hard. Here's my thing: it's super hard after putting in like all this time. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that that's a good example, and I'm not saying you should do it all the time. No, I don't think it's okay. However, it's part of the goddamn game, man. When you have people that are really good at something, and their lives, like literally their lives, revolve around what happens on that field on that that given weekend, that's when the passion comes out. So that is inevitable. It's going to happen. You cannot nip that in the bud. There's no such thing. All you can do is just try to ref- constantly re- like look like for instance in major league baseball this year i'm talking about baseball because it's baseball season sure. but you know but th- they had this year they had instant replay for the first time and there have been countless calls overturned right. which men goes to think like okay well how many of those calls poor dudes that were arguing their case were actually years, legitimate up until now for the 140 years that pro baseball has has been in existence you know and, and I, I mean i've watched a lot of baseball this year and it's like i've seen a ton of calls over overruled because and that's baseball man baseball is not moving 200 miles an hour it's it's 50 times the size and it's going half as fast right. even at the fastest that it could go let's say the shortstop has a goddamn cannon and he can throw 100 miles an hour that's half as the ball's 100 times as big and it's going half as fast sure. and it's still hard for those guys to get the calls right of so course. you know paintball which I've, I've always argued this is i think the hardest sport to to officiate so there's going to be mistakes made we just have to try to clarify the rules as much as possible and then ha- and then honestly like yeah like you know, dude. Sometimes guys are gonna get the things aren't gonna go their way, and they're going to get right. Angry. But but then but then you have to think that like, you know, because Oliver definitely never had made a lot of friends with the with the referees. Yep, that's for sure. And so which you you have to think, hurt you sometimes. which is gonna hurt you sometimes. And, and and I mean, I I like to think that some of our guys are a lot, or some some players are are super friendly and super nice with the refs. To not to say that they're getting favoritism by any means, but it's well, it didn't work out in Blake's favor this weekend. No, it didn't. Right? Weekend, like, how yeah. can you believe that? And you know Blake's the nicest dude you'll you'll know. I don't think he's ever. I think he, I've seen him mad one time in the whole time he's ever I've ever seen him, and that was in frustration, and that was at a practice. You know, like yeah. so. You know, I'm not saying that there's favoritism, but there's definitely times when when some people or some refs will be like, you know, if you if you if you root for a certain team or you have a home team, it's like oh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, or I'm going to throw a minor on this dynasty guy because. <laughs> It's I'm not going to give him the benefit. It's, 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 it's super, always going to be subjective. Subjective. Yeah. It's always it's super going subjective. to be that way. Yeah. It's always going to be that way. That's never going to change. Um, Scotty, you, we, you've been quiet for a long time. You were involved. Your, your team was playing there, uh, playing them at the time. What was going through your mind when all this crazy stuff was happening? Right when it happened, we weren't like, even please sure. your God, I hope they get a penalty. <laughs> we weren't even sure what the penalty was or what it was for. Once we saw it was assessed on them, um, we assumed that Kyle was hit. So that would be the logical thing. Based um, on what the penalty and the time. right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we thought, you was know, that, and that wasn't you. Your pit was on the opposite side of where right. The we're on the opposite was. side, so we thought we saw the flags go up, and we thought, oh, we're getting a gift right now. Yeah, um, we're still in this. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And we thought that's what Kyle must have been, been, been like. Oh, thank God. We thought Kyle must have been hit, um, dirty hang, and then no point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what was going on in our head, and then Ryan gave us another gift when he pulled <laughs> off the refs. So. <laughs> we oh, didn't know man. that we didn't know the outcome of the call until after the match um 
because it happened so fast, and you just were like, oh, right, it was, right, it's, yeah, like it's. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it, it looked like a bad call. If that was for overshooting, um, I watched the video replay. Kyle shot one paintball. So if it was an overshooting penalty on Kyle for that, then that's a bad call. And, and that's my point. I just think that we need to clarify the rules so that that sort of – because, again, it's always going to be subjective. But the more – the less subjective it can be, the sure. better in those those types of situations. You know, like whether something's a major or a minor or you got hit or didn't, like – it's paintball, man. It's going to be really tough to tell exactly every single time with 100% certainty what that is. But those, the talking after hit stuff and the overshooting stuff, like that, those type of ticky-tack bullshit yeah. penalties. Or that, the pod boy being on the field. I think they got eliminated that yeah, one. Yeah, but, that. Yeah. but that one was out for years, and it's like you're going to get penalized because – the staff couldn't get off the field in time to pick up pods. Like yeah. that's ticky. Or when the outer, the, yes. like when the um, when they put the lines the out of bounds a yeah. little bit too close. It's like, what does it matter, man? Right. Just extend it out really far exactly. so guys can run out because that's a dynamic move. People want to see people get creative. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, regardless, I, I mean, it, it was unfortunate to watch it go down that way. It did set up a very interesting finals match. It made the semifinals incredibly entertaining for us. But I, I felt really bad for you guys. I've been on the receiving end of that before. Right. It's always been one of my pet peeves in paintball. We've all been on the receiving. We've end all of that. been on the receiving. Not like end that, of that, dude. That was something else, man. I don't know. <laughs> that was something I want else, time, dude. I want, one time. That was a back to back to back. And then afterwards, and after they watched the video, they're like. Oh, and then we, we explain the rules like, no, 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 no. The rules doesn't really say that. And we're like, we had all, like, it was, that was really bad, man. I don't that know. One like time really... I shot a dude and then he didn't go out and then he shot another one of my guys and then I ran him down and he spun on me and then he shot me and uh, the ref uh, called me out and pulled a penalty on me. And it was, like, clear as day. It was that referee Bob back in the day. Me and Bob actually became really good friends. I don't know if you remember Bob, but, like, <laughs> no. from back in the day. But he was <laughs> Bob from back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, back but, uh, day, I, Bob. I, but yeah. I, t- I, told, I told him exactly what I thought of that call, um, using as many expletives as I possibly could muster at that particular exactly. moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I got a 10-minute gross major penalty. There it is. Uh, for shooting the dude, letting him shoot another guy, and then running him down and having him spin on me. So I yeah. know exactly where you're going with that. We lost the game. Bob-like dude. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, me and Bob were homies. So. <laughs> yeah, we got a beer after Yeah, we got a beer after that. I saw at the bar and I was like I'll you tell know, you you know that that was not the call right and Bob you owe me a beer yeah <laughs> he was like well yeah, maybe I messed that one up I'm sorry you know but but I'm, anyway I'm fairly certain CJ and I are not going to be homies well I would <laughs> I, I mean this you, is the same guy who gave us that gave Oliver that penalty in World Cup are look, you kidding me I, his I, foot under the bunker okay I'm just Fire. saying that infamous win CJ doesn't look like he's going anywhere so you uh. should probably extend olive branches or well, something. I'll try to not to use as many expletives when I talk to him if I ever have to talk to him again. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on. Okay. So, yeah, it's a terrible call. You guys got screwed. That allowed you guys to go along and be undefeated heading into the finals, um, which you guys ended up losing in a really close one uh, to, to Edmonton Impact. That was a great game. No, so we played uh, 187. First. Oh, that's right. Wait, 187. Yeah. And then you went on to And 187's been playing good. I got to give it to them. The last That two was events, a close game, too, 4-3. Yeah, they've been, dude, they've been performing uh, the last two events. And um, I got to give it to them. They've really stepped up this year. So They have. They're a tough team now. They're what all you, playing really good. I mean, I, I know in my head, after watching them play a bunch, what I think is the difference. But having now played against them, mm-hmm. what are you seeing out there that's the difference for 187? They it's a great look like they have story. confidence they now. Yet, Honestly, they look like they have confidence now. When they first joined the pro division and they were relegated and then in and out, in and out, in and out, every other event, it's like, oh, 187's back, oh, 187's out, 187's back. And they looked timid. Um, they looked like one of the bottom teams, to be honest. Now they look like they're playing with confidence and they believe in themselves. And that's a huge factor in paintball, obviously. So 
Um, they're they're a tough team to beat now. Got to give it to them. They're just getting really deep. They have before when they and first Nick's helping them out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Nick yeah, is really well. Nick's yeah. playing really good, and he's I think he's a big leader on their team too. So he's helping them out. Yeah, he's shooting lots of guys. He's playing mm-hmm. every point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's definitely done a lot for them. Um, but it's. It's kind of a combination of factors. It's Nick coming over and being another really solid guy that they can mm-hmm. count on who's getting lots of spins. And, and all the other guys stepping it up. Yeah, because that Drula dude's – Matt Drula's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Eddie Painter's been playing well. Uh, but even also Lazat and so – their other. So that basically they're getting a – you know, it's like Dynasty or X-Factor, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, you guys would just pull names out of a hat on a random day, and that's going to be a pretty badass starting line no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. just by the nature of the level of talent on your team. And that's is starting to be how it is right now for 187. Yeah. Which is that's a really good thing for them, and, mm-hmm. and it's starting to show. I mean, top four. They got fourth in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. So that's top four, two events in a row. Oh yeah, fourth and fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they're definitely a team that they're. It's no longer like when you're looking at the brackets, going like, you know, one eight seven. They're probably gonna, you know, X Factor's gonna win that game for sure. You know, yeah. it's more like, well, I don't know, man. One eight seven is gonna give anyone a run for their money right yeah. now. Agreed. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So then heading so. into that Impact game. Um, yeah, heading into the Impact game, they're a tough team. They're, they've been a top team for the last couple of years now. And, um, you know, you can't take them lightly. The last time we played them in a finals match, it was World Cup. And they had a two-point lead on us. And we pulled back and we won that World Cup. Um, I think Impact leads for second places of pro teams in history. They have, I don't have the stat in front of me, but at, before they started winning last year, before because they had a great year last year, obviously, yeah. you know, won the Millennium Series, won the PSP yep. Series, had, had a bunch of Ws. Yeah. Um, before that, I think heading into 2014, I think they had something like five second places, Yeah. which I can totally relate to because on Excessive, we formed Excessive, and Dynasty was beating shit out of us that first year. We took, uh, and Infamous in the beginning, but we took five second places in a row. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> that is torture. So. Yeah. Torture. But yeah, but now, but I mean, you know, Bart's gone above and beyond to try to get <clears throat> a winning roster. and Yeah, they know, got a deep <laughs> roster. Um they're playing a lot of paintball too. They play overseas, which is huge. Um, not, I don't think any other American team really does that with the, their whole team. So um, that's a big thing as well. And obviously, they got the funds to back them up to get great practices and you know everything they need. Um, so yeah, we played them in the finals. We were up. We were up by two. Penalties went back and forth on both teams, and yeah, they started to come back on us. Tied it up, and then um, they ended up beating us by one point. So that was our one loss of the event, and it was by a point. Yeah, it's kind of discouraging. It was na- that was a nasty game, though. It was a good game. It was like two heavyweight dudes just putting it on each other. Yeah, and uh, and, and again, penalties back and forth. Colt stepped up big for you guys in the beginning of the game, and then he got shut down. And then uh, uh, Cornell, Justin Cornell, kind of got shut down in the beginning for them. Mm-hmm. But then he stepped mm-hmm. up, and it was just. It was just awesomeness back and forth. It was a really that was a very entertaining game to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you guys also, I thought Michael Kovar played pretty solid for you guys. He was getting a lot of reps. Um, yeah, it, he's it, been playing good. It, well, it was one of those. It was one of those events and the field layout where it wasn't just you know I didn't see even there was not one guy that dominated like 80, 90 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best players that were that were out there. We're doing well, like 70 percent of the time, and the other thirty percent, they're playing catch just like everybody else. You know, it was it was a kind of a, te- uh, a it was a, a tricky, tricky field, field yeah. yeah, because a lot of a lot of points could play out really slow. But then we saw, I mean, how many thirty second points did you see all week? You know, 
so, more than I thought I would. Right. Yeah. More than I thought I would. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. a lot of teams went into the event thinking it was going to be a super slow field, mm-hmm. but it kind of went back and forth. It was weird. Well, it was one of those fields where, and you know, so if you guys are out there and you, you come across a layout like this, where it, it did, it was a little deceiving when you looked at mm-hmm. it in the beginning. You're like, oh, it's you know big lanes to get out through, but the teams mm-hmm. that were that were aggressively pushing. And Ryan, you had said this earlier because we kept seeing this. Right. Some teams, and this would happen to you guys. It happened to you guys a mm-hmm. little bit, but not as much. Um, which I think is why you guys found a little bit more success. <coughs> because, you know, you Dy- <coughs> Dynasty had won MAO <coughs> playing on a kind of similar layout. Right. Different, though, but... but well, it was a lot slower back then. <coughs> it was a lot, excuse me, it was a lot slower, but the point was it was the pocket play was effective. The pocket mm-hmm. play was also effective in this one, but I started to see teams, and, and me and Ty were watching this and we kept pointing it out, was that teams would get stuck running that pocket mm-hmm. play and not be able to get out wide, and then right. other teams would get out and get yeah. trapped. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, that's, and that was our issue. Yeah. Big moves on that Dorito side and that Snake side. If you were able to get out and get down into their side, um, kind of unseen, and you can take two or three guys out. So did I just want to know, you know, as you guys were playing out there, I mean, were you playing extra hard because you didn't know if you'd live to see the next event or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Did you um, be uh, dreaming was, about paintball and Davy Jones' locker? I was, I was telling Ryan week? that at the event. Everybody would come up to me, and all they wanted to do is talk about the the, the, the Sandago trip. Yeah. I said the same thing. Same yeah. thing, dude. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait for your trip. I'm like, nobody yeah. cares about PayPal no, when we showed up. They just wanted to talk to us about the sailing. I mean, every but PayPal is not going anywhere. Exactly. We can have that conversation. Exactly. But how often do you like <laughs> sail a rickety sailboat uh, 500 miles to Cabo San Lucas? You yeah. Know? All right, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, for the people that uh, that weren't familiar or hadn't been following you guys uh, across your social networks or had heard about it. Um, let's give them a little bit of introduction to the adventure. So where did it start out with? I mean, I know that, you know, you guys have been getting, at least from as your buddy, like I'd seen you guys have been getting more and more into sailing, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we'd all live together, and then you guys moved a lot closer to the harbor right. down there, and then you guys got more into sailing, and then so where did this fucking wild-ass I- I- idea come fr- from to, to sail, well, you know? We, so we started sailing uh, last summer. We were just renting from the harbor, and – you know, just putting around the harbor rentals, get, grab some friends, hop on board, and Ryan and I would just <coughs> sail around for a few hours, and it's a blast. It's really fun. And uh, one of my good buddies that I grew up with who lives in the area, he owns a boat, and he saw that, you know, we're posting photos of us sailing, and he said, hey, um, if you guys want to share my slip fee with me and have full access to the boat, let's do it, because I don't take it out that often. I got full-time job and kids, and we barely get out. So it was a win-win for everybody, and Ryan and I split the uh, slip fee with him and we had full access to his boat so we got to take advantage of that a lot more and take it out whenever we wanted to get kind of experienced on yeah it. yeah and he showed us the ropes on that and he's a, he's a really good sailor too so we learned a lot more from him as well um he decided to sell the boat towards towards the end of last year because uh, he wasn't getting much use out of it so he put the boat on the market and sold it and ryan and i were like now what do we do? We don't have a boat anymore. So we started hunting around on Craigslist, and we found a boat um, for a very cheap price um, <laughs> that we could afford. And it's a, it's a 1972 Catalina, 27 foot. So old as hell. It's old as hell. Yeah. And this uh, this sweet old lady who's living on it. So how big? Ocean like side. give us some dimensions. 20, 27 feet long. Okay. Um, and not, about not very long. And about five feet wide. No, it's 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 like six or seven feet wide. Six you could, or seven feet Maddie. Wide? So what? You're you're six one, six two. Yeah. You could stand inside of it without having to duck your head. Like it's okay. it's, it's the it's height deep. of the you know, yeah, height yeah. is inside. Like 
you can fit if you wanted to fit five people on the on the bench or six people, you could fit six people sitting there while we're sailing. Plus, you can put like another three or four in the cabin. Yeah, we've gone on, guys sitting on, the deck. on day sailing trips with about eight people on, and you're comfortable. Yeah. Anything more than eight, and it's too cramped. Or but, if it's too windy. Yeah, but an overnighter, three to four max. So yeah, didn't you almost kill your roommate Joel <laughs> when it was windy or something with the it's like well, in his head yeah, or something? He, he did. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, That's why he's the co-captain. <laughs> Joel almost killed himself. <laughs> I just remember seeing the picture, and it was this nasty. Yeah, he hit him in the head with the boom. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that's why they call it a boom. For, for the <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you guys, had, you, so you so bought this. this boat off this lady. She lived up in Oceanside, which is about an hour north of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, bought it from her. An hour north, driving, driving, yeah, yeah. driving, about 50, 60 miles up, and um, <laughs> bought it from her. She lived on it. She never sailed it once. She was living on it in the harbor, and she put it on Craigslist because she got an apartment. So she was moving out. So this boat had never seen the open sea? It it, just, no, I mean, it, it was 43 years prior, old. So. Yeah, it has from prior owners. Okay. Who knows how many different owners had it? Yeah. It'd be cool to actually see the history of it, but who knows? Uh, so we got the boat and set sail down to San Diego, brought it into our slip, which was about um, – it took us eight or nine hours. We left at like 5 p.m., got in in the middle of the night. And that was the longest – sailing trip we did prior to this <laughs> so the, the extent of your open ocean uh sailing experience prior to this you know because a lot of people might be thinking like well that can't be that far you know san diego to, to mexico that's like right by mexico like yeah no dude i mean that's that's a pretty yeah you know, it's 500 I mean, miles right yeah that's, i mean our first our first sail uh into mexico was 18 20 hours or something like that 18 hours or something yeah, yeah. no more i think yeah it was about 20 hours we left it like 8 p.m. and got in it like okay so wait no but hold on yeah okay. it gets the, the, you know it this sale would have been a lot less climactic mm-hmm. if uh if if a pre- uh, preceding the week that you guys were going to leave there was a hurricane down barreling well, in up the coast of yeah Mexico. so so let's 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 uh, rewind a little bit yeah. here so we we want we wanted to go on a trip yeah. Okay, but that's what I'm wondering. Where does so this... So the day trips, the day trip, there are no day trips around San Diego. It's not like you, you just putter around the bay or you, you can go like several you know miles into open ocean and come back. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to do an overnight trip. And Scott and I had spoken about doing a trip into uh, the the nearby islands which are in Mexico also, which are like 15 15 miles away, mm-hmm. which would have been a, a fun relatively easy, you know, overnight trip. Probably should have done something like that to wet our beaks a little bit, but you know, and then and then our buddy Roy was like, "Man, you should go on something where we go on a surf trip to these other these other places." And I was like, "Yeah, that would be a, an awesome idea." You know, and actually, thank God we did do that first rather than get, going out to uh, the Coronado Islands. And I'll tell you that in a second. But um, but we needed to, the boat wasn't ready for a long sail, and nor did we have the time to go down there and then come back. So we kind of explored some ideas. And, and some options as far as like, okay, what do we do? Should we leave our, slip, our boat down in the slip in Cabo? Because, you know, we're paintball players and we, we're usually traveling. So, you know, we would need almost a month to go there and back. Plus, it's kind of like... you can get down there rel- a lot, that, a lot yeah, quicker because you're going with the prevailing winds. And when you're going against them, it's like you're just tacking back and forth all the way up. So it, it creates almost twice the amount, the amount of time. Uh, that's on a, a good, solid, sturdy working boat. Um, so... You know, I, and a lot of my travels over the last, you know, several years, ever actually mainly since I went to Kilimanjaro back in the day, you know, I was like, when I was climbing the mountain, uh, I noticed like all the local guides and like the porters and stuff, they're wearing like 
rickety old tennis shoes and like three t-shirts like they're not equipped to be doing this stuff jeans all, all the Tiger's while nightmare. you know like all these westerners are coming in there with all their super nice gear and stuff i'm i'm only gonna you know me and hiking i hate hiking i hate camping yeah. so i have no use for all my stuff at the end of this trip so i ended up giving it to a lot of the like the porters you know i kept my uh hiking poles in my shoes because i figured maybe what's i might lend them out to you which you broke them one time <laughs> but anyway <laughs> uh so, you know, and then, and then I went to Africa again with my mom this last trip uh, when I went to the, see the gorillas and stuff. And we brought, like, tons of supplies and, like, mosquito nets, like, crayons, pens, all these things for these chalk and stuff like that for all these, like, uh, little schools and stuff along the way. And so just, you know, more to traveling than just going down and drinking uh, pina coladas on the beach and ordering shrimp tacos all day yeah. and eating chips and salsa and drinking tecate. You know, there's a lot more to the areas that you go into like there's a lot more to mexico and i've driven down baja before and and you know roy is also pretty pretty versed in, in going down there you know and camping and doing all this stuff and and um there had been a hurricane one of the more aside from this one that would just hit uh last year there was that one odile that that damaged all of baja <coughs> and so it was all over the news but the news never really covered that it it also affected everything outside of cabo as well mm-hmm. you know it wasn't just the tourism industry it was like all these other small fishing villages and towns and stuff along the way. The fishing villages just dot the dot, entire Yeah, that's all they do. All the way down. That's yeah. all they do, you know? And so so I kind of I kind of thought of the idea, and it took a little bit of convincing to Scott and stuff like that. But, you know, it was like, look, if we're going to – we want to go on a huge adventure. We want to sail down here. We don't have time to sail back, you know? Like, why don't we do something awesome and just – and see if we can find a place to donate the boat. Help mm-hmm. these fishing communities, you know, and give them – give give something back to, like – you know, our travels, because I knew that along the way we were going to be stopping and anchoring in some of these fishing villages, which is where we did uh, eventually give the boat away. You know, they, they helped us out. You know, they picked us up in their, in their little dinghies. They drove us around. They, you know, super friendly. Every time a, a guy drove by in his boat, they're all waving at us like, hey, look at, you know, look at these idiots. Look at these but, gringos. You know, who knows, you know? These gringos. You know, what are they and we, doing? And we felt safe, like, walking around this small, super small town in the middle of, Mex- in the middle of Baja Coast, like, well, hold on. So you around. said it took some convincing. So, Scott, when you first heard of this, um, what were you thinking? Well, so there's – Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. Well, there's, there's a no few things. I mean, one, I needed to get work covered because taking that much time off from work was a big factor. And um, Yeah, I mean, who's going to get all those soccer moms super like, jacked? Exactly. Right? So um, – Your asses are at stake, bro. Two is – um, it's prime hurricane season. So yes, this the is beginning of hurricane season, which was June a, uh, 1st. <laughs> this is a, they do an annual sale from, uh, from San Diego mm-hmm. down through Cabo and then into La Paz that throughout all Baja. And, uh, it's called the Baja Haha. And it's a, everyone departs from San Diego. It's a big annual trip that's been going on for 20 years or so. And they go towards the end of the year. They go, um, at the end of October. And I was saying, you know, let's go during that time. It, the reason why they go then is because hurricane season's over and it's a lot easier sailing. The winds are a lot smoother the t- um, and the, the tides are a lot smaller. Um, but Ryan, he wanted to go, you know, right during hurricane season when it's super rough. And uh, talking with all my buddies who are like super into sailing and have done it for a while, they, they advise, you know, wait till the end of the year. It's rough. You don't know um, what kind of storms you're going to be dealing with. Plus, not only that, but the condition of our boat and how old it is and fragile it is, the harder the winds and the swells that you're going through, the rougher it is on the boat, and things can break a lot easier. Yeah, because I remember talking to you and you were, when you guys when you were going through all the things that needed to get fixed in order to make the journey, and mm-hmm. then talking to the people that were fixing it, 
and you were telling them what they were gonna, you guys were gonna do. They were like, like laughing at you. Like, well, yeah, I mean, everybody laughs at us. Just like everybody, everybody who I've seen, who's seen me, just like you, like, God, you guys are alive. Like, of course we're alive, dude. Yeah, like, what was gonna, what was gonna happen? Like, what do you think you're alive? You know, and this is we weren't gonna die. No, we weren't gonna die. And and you know, it's like rolling my eyes. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We kind of talked about it. It's like what percentage of the of America knows how to sail or even can even fathom the idea. It's like, is it less than 1%? You know, uh, we, some less than 1%. Wrote, less than 1%. So hey, we're thinking there was three NFL dudes that died uh, off the coast of uh, Florida. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they were great. They had their life jackets on and I'm sure they were great. So I they, know. They, it was they a flipped much their boat story. on it, it a because they didn't pull their anchor out. But uh, the guys making millions of dollars didn't want to cut the anchor to, to save a hundred bucks. I'm just saying. I'm so just look, saying. yeah, we have, we had life jackets. We're all good swimmers. Okay. Yeah, hundred miles off the coast, life jackets. Yeah, let me let me let me digress here a little bit. Okay. Your motor broke, which you would need to put on the dinghy if the you know. No, yeah, we had, totally. We had paddles. Yeah. Like, look, I we had a lot of the things sorted out. I I put a lot of effort into making sure and that planning that we didn't die and that we had all the upgrades, and that's why we started. So we started the the, the campaign, the Indiegogo campaign, in order to raise the funds to make sure that the boat was sea seaworthy ready. Which again, this is why a good reason we didn't go test test the waters in the Coronado Islands because. When the rigging guy, when I talked to him after he replaced everything, he's like, dude, you had one more sail of this thing before the mask came down. Because the, 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 the cables that hold it together, um, he said there was like three hairs of the wire holding the mast together. You know, so like, and one of them had already snapped on Scott when he, we first got the boat. So like, it's, <laughs> it's a good thing that we had, we had planned this trip. Otherwise, we were about to be out on the harbor or even on the open ocean just fooling around. And this, the mast was going to come down. And that could be catastrophic, especially if someone's standing around. There's wires flying through the air. Like, a lot, a lot can go wrong. So we ended up uh, uh, getting all the donations that we needed, and we, we fixed this thing up. Um, we made it so it was, it was definitely ocean, ocean ready. Yeah, and, like, you had some you – know, your sponsors come in, right? Yeah, like yeah. NXL, Badlands. Well, yeah, the NXL, the NXL actually uh, went big. Um, Planet Eclipse donated a gun to the deal. We've had a lot of support from our, our friends, families, and a lot of the people who are listening now. Um, you know, and we raised all the money. And, and it, it, it was huge for us. You know, it was like, a, it was a goal, you know, like I put a lot of time into, into, into making sure that, you know, doing interviews, doing all this other stuff and making sure there was a, the budget was going to be tight enough and getting all the stuff fixed. So, you know, like we, 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 a lot of the issues that we had run into were somewhat unforeseeable. I knew that the sales were in kind of dicey shape because the guy was like, dude, don't get new sales because you're going to give it away. Let's just try to repair them as best we can and hope for the best. Just bring a lot of gorilla tape, you know, and, and. Gorilla tape. Gorilla tape. He said that gorilla tape could work. And mind you, we could have done that. Now, had Roy actually come down prior to us sailing and learned how to sail before the first night, I think the, the sails would have probably lasted a little bit longer. However, they were inevitably, inevitably going to rip. The biggest unforeseeable thing that had happened to us. Now, being out there, sure, there were some hurricanes in the distance, and one had just come through. This is the worst hurricane season since 97. They've already had three this year, and all of last year they only had six. So everybody who I, we had spoken to was like, man, you guys are crazy. I can't believe you're going to go right now. You're going to love it. It's going to be a best year. You're going to have the best time. That's what mm-hmm. everybody started with. Let me heed warning. However, you guys are going to – All the sailing people you're talking All the sailing people. They're yeah. like, let me heed warning. I've done it this time of year. It might be – it could be rough. It could be the most beautiful sail you guys have ever had, which in hindsight, it was a beautiful sail. We didn't come, we didn't really encounter any like horrible weather. Well, I was gonna say, talk me so talk me through the trip though. Yeah, that's so, what I really okay. want to hear. Like, because yeah. I haven't got this story yet. Everyone so, out there is getting right. this story as I'm getting this story. Okay, I've not so heard this story so yet. we we fly in from the NXL, uh, basically 
the Monday. Because the prep yeah. didn't go exactly like you guys wanted no, it to go. No, because we didn't have enough time and we didn't have any help. We got back Monday morning and we left Monday night. Yeah, because yeah. when I flew in. We picked up that dinghy Monday my, afternoon. My yeah. roommate, Red, our fr- good friend, Red, picked us up, who you guys might know from the PSP videos back in the day. But oh, Red I have something us- to say about Red, too. Oh, really? Yeah, so well, Red picked me up from the airport, and he had come just from helping ferry yeah. stuff around for you guys and doing yep. errands for you guys all day long. All right, what do you have to say about Red? Red's like, I got you on the fishing gear. I got you. No problem, bro. I got you. And so push comes a shot. And this is how everything went. Like all the friends that were going to like pitch in and help, they're like, oh, dude, don't even sweat it. I got you. Don't, don't sweat it. Hey, man, it's Monday. We're leaving. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm going to go get some stuff for you. And then Red comes back with 20-pound test. I mean, I don't fish, but I know that 20-pound test wasn't what we needed for the, the open ocean. <laughs> like we, were, we caught, we caught two, the third tuna we caught, which was the last one because all the rest of the line had snapped on every other one. Mm-hmm. You know, like we lost four lures. We were on our last lure and our last bit of line, and, and the thing snapped, and we had this massive fish hooked. You know, it's like, dude, who's going who's gonna to be the – I asked my buddy, the only buddy I know who fishes, and he gives me a 20-pound test. We didn't <laughs> eat that day. No. Yeah. Thanks, Red. Thanks, Red. Um, so anyway, right, so, okay. Yeah, so you fly so, in. Preparations so are not gone stellar well, yet. Well, no, like I had, I had made sure everything was, everything was taken care of. The mm-hmm. only thing that we didn't have at that point was a dinghy. That was pretty important. Life jacket, well, better life jackets because I had those silly little orange ones. So everything was taken care of except for the things that would save your life, right? Yep. And the yeah. food. And so I sent Scott to yeah. get the food. So I got all that stuff. <laughs> no, he Scott just got the food Listen. and the dinghy. I found it on Craigslist when he picked me up from the airport. Yeah. Okay. And I went and bought. I went and bought it. Fucking tra- tra- trafficked the whole thing over there. Put it on the loaded it on the boat. We all tied it down. Uh, it was actually pretty cool though because we wanted, we wanted to have a little send off party. So all the HK Army was having their crash at the coast at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I had to put all the stickers and all the sponsors' uh, flags and stuff on the boat as well anyway. So all the HK guys came down there with all their kids, and they, they were like, oh. Um, we had the news come down and do a little the news bit. interview. Yeah, that was sweet. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, we were scurrying around a little bit. But, dude, all the, all the safety precautions and all the necessary upgrades to the boat had already been purchased and installed. Mm-hmm. The only thing we were working on was the solar, which we didn't even need, and the dinghy, which I picked up, and, uh, and the food. So we got all that stuff. And, you know, Marcelo came down. He, he saw us off as well. Um, and, and it was pretty cool. You know, we had a bunch of friends. And we ended up leaving at about 8 p.m. was when we finally got everything ready to go. Any second thoughts at all? Or? Uh, the only second thoughts we had was when we were cruising by Point Loma and Scott was hammered drunk. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. I'm like, I'm not going the wrong way. There's only one way to Mexico, bro. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. And, like, we're still trying to, like, tie things off and, like, get, like, little loose ends up. So you just got super – Well, because – Well, no, because – the first night Well, no, because – If I'm going to be on a boat that long with this guy – No, no. This is, this is what had happened. That's the logic. There was still a bunch do. of people, like, showing up to kind of help with the boat, but I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't packed yet. So Scott was like, dude, I'm packed. I'm ready to go. I was like, all right, cool. Hang here and wait for Roy. I'll be right back. So I went, got a couple other last-minute things packed. And by the time I got there, like – Everybody who came to show up was like, hey, have a beer with me. Have a beer with me. So Scott had to, like, be the brunt yeah, of that yeah, guy. Yeah, sure. And so Scott was there waiting for us, like, for, like, you were probably there for three or four hours, like, waiting for Roy and I. Well, and Scott's and every body normally person, is a temple, so yeah. it's not like he's drinking and, you know, all the time. No, so, exactly. You know. And so, like, and every, but everybody came down. Like, all of our friends came down. They all wanted to have a beer, you know? And so yeah. Scott was the guy who had to have a beer with everybody. Yeah. And so we're sailing out, and Roy's like, dude, if you got to realize, like, we're, I'll turn around. Because like, Roy didn't want to go anymore like he's like well wait i didn't think we were actually gonna go we had to re-talk him into it that day <laughs> that day dude really or yeah. else it would have been the two of us <laughs> yeah we wouldn't know we wouldn't know <laughs> really dude yeah Roy was like i didn't really think we were gonna go we're like what do you think <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> we raised all this money we bought all this stuff like we're set <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> we're going you have to come like, okay well guy. i gotta finish yeah. my stuff so <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny so anyway we're, we're looking at like a 
12 to 15 hour sail down to Ensenada. That was our first, like, and we were doing it overnight because we needed to arrive there in the morning before 2.30 in order to clear customs because customs closes at 2.30 well, And also, PM. wasn't there, like, some window you guys were trying to, because there was the first hurricane came through, blew itself out, and then you were trying to get through another window? No, there, 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 wasn't, was... there wasn't anything at that point. There was, like, a small blip on the map that could have been a low-pressure system that Roy was just But it ended up constantly. turning into one, didn't it? It did turn into a hurricane later, but didn't never hit where we thought it was going to hit. Okay. So, and, and I had a buddy that was in a fishing boat, uh, keeping in contact with me the whole time. He was, he was a day ahead of me. Well, ended up because he was under power the whole time going 60 knots. So he ended up getting to where we were, we were meant to go at day seven. He got there in day two or three or something, you know. But he was on a big He, he was on a big with boat a with Wi-Fi and all yeah. this and texting me and updating me as I got signal. And he's like, dude, you're all clear. You're good to go. Just pin it. So anyway, we, we needed to be in Ensenada by 2.30 p.m. or before 2.30. So I had my little everything. Everything was set to make it there on time. We ended up taking the long way there by going around the Coronado Islands, which is 15 miles out, and then straight back in. We, we caught a lot of wind that night because that was the first sa- rip in the sails. <laughs> and uh, and um, this is actually pretty funny because – so Scott goes to sleep because we're, we're, we're on eight-hour shifts. So you're on for eight hours, off for, eight, off for four, on for eight, off for four. So Scott went to sleep first, but because we hadn't really figured our system out yet, we're just like, yeah, Scott, you just go to sleep. Uh, Roy and I'll kind of like – just go for this, and you will wake you up in the morning. So we wake Scott up to this, too. It's like, I think it was like 6 or 7, maybe 8 in the morning, and we hook a, our first tuna. And we're so pumped because, like, Roy and I are like, oh, man, it's, we're tired, you know? Yeah, you stayed up all night. And it's like, and all this commotion. So the only place to sleep that we had designated for our little bunk was directly under where you sit. So any movement up on the deck is like boom, 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 you know? Someone banging on your door. So not easy to sleep and, when that's oh. happening? Or, well, I mean, if you've had a 12-pack, then probably simple to sleep. No, no, no. This, yeah. is, this was something else. We're fighting. We're screaming. Yeah, woo! Scott rounds the corner to us hauling in a 30-pound bluefin tuna. Sick, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, he's a little hungover, a little little seasick because it's the first day, and you can see it in his face. He's just like super exhausted. I mean, we're all exhausted. Well, how but big were the waves? I mean, there, were... the waves. It, it doesn't really matter. Once you're on the open ocean, if there's any swell in the water, you're gonna feel a little nauseous. I think it was like two to three foot swells, maybe. Yeah, it was. It was pretty small, but Did it, it was substantial. Big at all? At any only time? one night. I don't want. We'll, I'll, yeah, I'll wait I'll, for that. I'll get to story, that. Yeah. This fish story is pretty funny because yeah. I was actually just going through some of the video, and. uh we pull this fish up on the deck, but we didn't know where to put it. And, and mind you, let me, let me paint the picture again of the deck. is like It's about two feet wide, and then there's two bench seats, which are about two feet also, right? Maybe? And no, like three. Yeah, two or three feet. So you don't have a whole lot of space up there for the tiller, uh, which you know, extends a couple feet out. Like, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of working space here, especially when we're moving around <coughs> on the water yeah. and we're still sailing. So Scott comes up to hold the tiller while we get this fish on the, on the deck. And so we pull it up. And it's flopping around, and so Roy is like, "We're like, get it." And so he, we don't have a, we didn't bring a gaff. <laughs> we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't. Excuse Sorry. me. We didn't have a gaff or like a billy club. <laughs> Try not to inhale so, water into your lungs. So we but. grab, we grab the fire extinguisher <laughs> and beat its head in because that's what you're supposed to do. Because we didn't, we want to do it as humanly as possible. But bluefin bleed a lot. And so there's blood spraying everywhere. So no gaff? No gaff. No, Roy is just going to town on this thing with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and it's like Scott's screaming. There's blood spraying everywhere. And we're like, oh, my God, what do we do? So flash forward to I, I tie a rope through his gills and throw it overboard to let it bleed out. And 
the deck looks like a murder scene, bro. Like, it's bad. Like, so you're seasick, hungover, there's yeah, blood everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a sushi restaurant where they're like, bring it to you on no. a nice plate, no. perfect plate. I thought that's so what they're going to do. I thought they were going to sashimi it for me and <laughs> deliver it on a nice plate. But <laughs> some rice. So this is going down. And we're like, after it was done, and I'm like just disgusted. And I'm looking, we're flaying the thing up. We're like, what do we do with this we're like, What do we do with all this stuff? And I'm like, dude, I don't want to catch any more fish. It was like a like an hour of cleaning. Looked like scrubbing. a scene from Dexter. There was oh just my blood god, dude, it was bad. I'll show you some video uh, later. Um, so that was exciting. You know, that was like a cup of coffee right yeah. there. So yeah. yeah, we all have our coffee. We're pulling into Ensenada. Flash eating forward a couple raw, more hours. Sashimi. Yeah, we eating sashimi. We had uh, lemons and limes and soy sauce. We're eating it. Scott ate some. It was delicious. I mean, it, it was fresh bluefin. Like yeah. we caught it. Boom. Yeah, bluefin's amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So that's actually, I think, the best tuna you can get, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome. We get to Ensenada at 2.45, which was 15 minutes late after they closed. Pay a little extra money, <coughs> clear customs, and do everything. We repair the sales there and then leave that evening. So we were in and out of Ensenada in like four, and got gas. four or five hours. And got yeah. some gas. More gas. Yeah. Uh, more chips and salsa. And stuff Our like gas that. supply, too, is we only had enough storage for 25 gallons. And we got a little outboard motor. And this thing is, what is it, eight horsepower? Yeah. It's our, it's our saving grace if the sales go down. We fired up too at night sometimes because you lose wind sometimes at night. I think it's we like had like four a.m. We like had good. We had some nights where we didn't have to fire up the engine at all. But sometimes if you're just at a standstill, going one knot, it's like fire up the engine. Let's keep moving. Yeah. How so. fast would the uh, engine get you guys going? Six. Yeah. We're, you we're averaging six knots. Yeah. Which is which good. is about six miles an hour, isn't it? It's a little over. I think it's like yeah, seven like miles eight, an hour. Yeah. Which is. <laughs> <laughs> That's slow. Imagine we're, whatever town we're is closest so to you. Let's say you live in Chicago. Imagine 500 miles from there, and you're going five miles an hour. Dude, it, and it's, it's not a direct route. No, no. That's, <laughs> that was the other thing. Like, but we made good time. We did. Because I, I budgeted four and a half miles an hour, and we were going average of six. Sometimes we got up to 12. Like, we were cooking some of the times. And if you, I was watching a lot of the video, again, today, just kind of going over some things, like categorizing. I'm watching it. We're just cr- like we're cruising, you know. Like we're just full on cruising. It's, it's, it was pretty cool, you know, to think that we were like that. Just we didn't even need power a lot of the times. And you know, at night, like you said, you want to turn the motor on, especially just like you want you need that hum to stay awake, you know. So the so you made it to Ensenada, mm-hmm. bribed the dudes because you were late, got your thing you needed, and then you left there. But yes. So that but then you were out in sea for like four days. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Our yeah. Next. Uh, so our next stop is Turtle Bay, and we estimated three days to get there. And there's there's nowhere to stop in between. So it's like if we need a if we need to pull over for any reason, we're gonna have to just wreck the ship. Well, and you're there's also no not, anchoring points. Yeah, there's no anchoring points, and it's not pulling over. You guys were like 100 miles out. Yeah, of the well, ocean. So that is the thing. Is like we we pinned because like to get to catch the wind going in this direction because the wind was kind of like shifty. Yeah, it was. We had to, we had to like kind of you have to go at an angle. It's no straight lines, you know. Well, there is a straight line, but you know, point A to C is gotta go through B kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. So. We at one point in time we tacked way out, and this is actually where we caught our second fish. Was day three? We saw this huge pot of dolphins, and we're like, we were like sixty or seventy miles out. You guys caught a dolphin and ate it? No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we saw this huge pot of dolphins, and they're yeah. usually chasing fish, and that's when we caught our second big yellowtail. But like after we cut, cut that thing up, and that was a really fun day. Like beautiful blue water, like everything's great. The sun goes down, especially after like the second or third night you're on the boat, and when the sun goes down. Like morale and demeanor drop. Like you're just like, oh. just a sigh of like, please don't go. You know, because <laughs> once it's dark out, a you can't see anything. B trying to stay in a straight line is almost impossible. So we're looking at a, at a like peering at this 
uh, compass that we had, but there was no light, so we had to like tape a light to it so it was shining on there. Well, and also, just, did, how did you guys switch that off, like, working night and day shifts? So I mean, we all had different shifts. So basically, you're up for eight hours, and you sleep for four. Up for eight, sleep for four. Um, and the eight that you're up, you're kind of sailing for half of that, and you're co-captain for half of that. Um, so we all had a designated time sh- shift. So my my sleeping pattern, I was I would sleep from eight in the morning till noon, and I would sleep from eight at night till midnight. So I would be up. This was the worst part is when I would have to get up at midnight <laughs> until 8 in the morning. Oh, and that was every, – every, every night? Every night. Was, every yeah. night. I dreaded that. So they would only do half draw that straws shift. for that? How'd you get no, I don't know. That, I, it's, I, see, that's the thing is here, – now here – They all suck. If you they all suck, down, everyone's dude. shift sucks. <laughs> yeah, because look. So I'm supposed to be up my, – my shift from sleeping from uh, 4 in the morning till 8 in the morning is awesome. Yeah, I'm stoked on it. Yeah, it's yeah. great. But try going to sleep at 4 p.m. <laughs> when we're catching fish. We're catching fish, running around on the deck, and you're like, dude, yeah. shut up. You know? <laughs> so, so, like, yeah, you, I don't get any sleep during the middle of the day. How, Neither many, did Roy. how many arguments were there? Was you there, know what? There, like, there what was over under per day No, we didn't. we didn't argue at all, really. Eh. <laughs> no, the only time we argued – okay, so this is where the arguments came. So – once we tacked in from we were 100 miles out to sea, it was night. This is the this Which is the you biggest can't storm. Even, during daytime, you can't even see the land oh. 100 miles out. No chance. Oh yeah. No no way. Um, so so we're out there, and I'm like, all right, if we if we pin it back, because Roy's like, dude, we need to be closer to shore. Scott was sleeping when we made the decision to, to tack in, and plus we were getting oh, this is the highest wind part we were at, and there were bigger swells, so water was actually kind of splashing onto the boat a little bit. It was pretty funny. And the tiller started cracking. Oh, yeah, the tiller broke. And the, tiller, t- the tiller is like your steering wheel for uh, Yeah, it, but it's a boat. stick. It's a stick. It's a stick that comes out. And it's made of wood, around. and it's cracking down the middle, so we're taping that off. 100 miles out. If that thing breaks, you just do 360s in the middle of the water. <laughs> so anyway, we're like, we're like, dude, let's, we got we to gotta head towards shore. Like, I don't like being out 100 miles, not, 100 miles out because yeah. basically if something had happened, like not to the boat, but like maybe if someone slips and bonks their head – like it's you're going to take you're us 20, 20 hours. Yeah, you're if 20, we were 24 motor, hours just to like fire up the motor and it's going to take us 20 hours to get to just, safety. Just, no, then, no, no, no. That's just to get just to, to, get to land, yeah, not to yeah, safety. Yeah. So anyway, the only arguments that we had really were basically, are we going to be able to beat this storm? Because we had a sat phone, Bart, Bart Yakmak let us borrow a sat phone where we would call Brandon Short every day at 5 p.m. Well, we only did that for the first three days because he's the absolute worst and answering, he's like, this is like our safety line, and short just doesn't answer sometimes. Oh, sorry, I was at the bar uh, having having dinner. Like, what's up? You good? Like, <laughs> bro, you know that's he said that to me in a text message. I was like, dude, we need to check the weather, and he sent me the Weather Channel's forecast for Cabo. All sunny, bro. You guys are good. <laughs> that was the text message. I go, you're fired. This is my reply. So anyway, we ended up contacting Roy's dad who is avidly watches the Weather Channel and knows all the webcasts. We watch the uh, National Hurricane Advisory uh, website. He does this and that. So he scared the shit out. He, of course, everybody's parents and all of our friends were scared shitless for us. Mm-hmm. But he was watching this thing form and from a tropical depression to a uh, you know hurricane uh, level, you know, <coughs> of level one, you yeah. know, category one hurricane. And you know, he's like, dude, it's supposed to touch down in Cabo on Tuesday. And this was, I think it was like, what was that Thursday or something like that? This was on Thursday as we're, as we're pulling into Thursday or Friday when we're pulling into uh, uh, Turtle Bay. I don't, can't really remember all the dates off the top of my head now. But <clears throat> the biggest thing is, so we're, we're like, okay, well, shit. Let's get some internet when we stop in Turtle Bay. Let's hang out there for the, you know, for the evening, and we'll re-advise the situation in the morning. 
at which point we had met some lady in another boat. We called her on the on the VHF radio, and she kind of explained her situation. What's what she's like? We were coming north from Mag Bay, which is our next point of of entry, our planned. And she's like, we got caught in Hurricane Blanca. She's like, I have an eighty five foot boat. I've been sailing. We've been sailing the Mexico coast for the last three years. I have an eighty five foot boat, and she goes, some of the swells that we were going over, uh, when the waves were cresting. We weren't. We couldn't even see the top or the bottom of the wave in the daytime. Eighty-five foot boat. So she's hitting over hundred foot swells. Jesus. She goes. Mine. She goes. When we finally got to anchor I here, sunk the poor Fandango. Oh, the oh. Fandango would have been toast. But Swallow you know, it won't. Hole. No, it would. They don't flip. They knock over and they come back. Mm-hmm. We had a harness well, thing. I saw the perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it, we weren't, we weren't going to go into a category five. Yeah, okay, that's not, the big yeah, thing. True. So. And, and the only f- – the, the un- unfortunate thing is when we checked the next morning, they're like, okay, it is a Category 1, and it was doing the exact same thing that Blanca did. It went from tropical s- depression to Category 1 in the exact same spot, started projecting north to Cabo. But the thing is, like, the uncertainty is that had we started to set off then uh, on, that, on that day, if, it, if we did get, say, like two days down – and the thing hits a Category 5 and then just starts rocketing north, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have been able to turn around and, and beat it, really. Yeah. Now, we could have had we gone up another 100 miles uh, west because in order to avoid them, like, they, they lose steam once they go out over water um, and, or if the water gets colder. So you go north, you're going to be fine. Yeah, and that's but, why San Diego doesn't get hurricanes. Exactly, and that's why water. Turtle Bay, which is where it was like the safe port because the water's too cold, so they'll never get the hurricane. Yeah. Now, we did get some of the weather like when it was, when it was kind of shitty out, but Roy and Scott weren't comfortable sailing 100 miles out again in the Fandango, whether it was to avoid a hurricane or not. Well, isn't that when you guys broke your uh, – the, the-, the sails ripped even more out there, but, but we were still going to make it. We still, I had a backup front sail, and, and we had – there was a lot of the things that were, that were planned for. The biggest thing, and because we did, we did it decide, we're like, look, let's just I, – I convinced I convinced him, and this is where the biggest argument was. It was like, dude – we don't want to go die. We're not going to die on this mission. And I was like, I was trying to convince him we're not going to die. But we don't know. Like, sure. So you guys are having these arguments rolling constantly or once you guys were – No, it was – it was, it was basically once we got to Turtle Bay, and this was kind of our, our, our downfall, is we, we got to shore to get gas and everything. Mm-hmm. And the people were nice. We were on land again. And mind you, we were all – I've never been so sore in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like – just constantly dude, back, rocking around. Yeah, you're rocking stuff. around trying to stabilize you yourself. Like, yeah, dude, I'm sore you get. Our lower backs were just dead. And, you know, it was just like the comfort of land, the comfort of like having mm-hmm. a hot meal and stuff like that really, really was like, you know, inviting to us. So that kind of played a part in it. And we ended up staying there for a little longer than we wanted to because we were tracking this hurricane. Mm-hmm. And so after 24 hours, we're like, dude, listen, I'm going to go fill up with the rest of the gas and let's pin it south. I convinced everybody to do that, and Roy and Scott agreed reluctantly because all I wanted to do was finish. I wanted to finish this thing, you know, under, under any circumstances. I knew that we could make it. Uh, I wasn't worried about the hurricane. I knew that we – had we gotten to the, the issue where we went to the point of no return, I knew that we could, A, turn kind of back or turn out and get away from it and avoid it. You know, I, I had that – I was very certain of that. <clears throat> Roy brought up a good point, and when we spoke to this lady as well, she's like, look, if you get to Mag Bay – and that hurricane comes, there's nowhere to, like, there's nowhere to run once you're in Mag Bay. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is, and, and Roy brought this up to, to my attention and made it apparent, is, like, we don't want to be a burden on people. So we want to give this boat away to a nice, nice 
the, to the charity and some people who are in need. To accomplish the mission. To accomplish the mission. But to you, the How, mission was like, I want to get to this. The mission was both. Our, our, was our like mission was both. Mission. Yes. It was, I want to f- complete the sale that we, su- we sought after to, to, to start. But at the same time, I also want to make sure that the boat gets to somebody. But Roy brought up a good point. He's like, look, if we get to this Mag Bay place, which is the first, the next port before uh, Cabo, and it's really, really deserted. And we're like, hey, guys, we can't make it because there's a hurricane coming. Will you please take our boat? You're welcome. And they're like, dude, what are we going to do with this boat? There's a hurricane coming. You just gave us a boat, which would be awesome to have if we weren't just about to get ravaged by a hurricane. <laughs> so we didn't want it to be a burden on anybody at the same time because, yeah, granted, the, bo- the boat's worth, you know. That would have been point. like, here's a $1,000 bill as the, like, lawnmower's coming. And yeah. And there's a $1,000 <laughs> yeah. bill the lawnmower runs Exactly, yeah. you, know? you know? So, so <laughs> yeah, if, if we had made it down there and there were, there were no issues, too, then the we, we could have. And then, so anyway, we, we convinced each other. We're like, look, we can do this. Um, no problem. Like, I got it. So we get all the gas, and we pin it out of, out of Turtle Bay. Uh, we sail about a day and a half down, and we kind of drop the sails to, you know, it's like, hey, look, it's a really nice day. This is actually our nicest day. We're like, we got the lines out. We decided to throw the dinghy out to get some cool little, little perspective camera shots. So Scott's sitting around the dinghy. We're like, let's drop the sails afterwards, have some lunch, enjoy this beautiful day, because now we figured out, like, a better way to kind of sail was, like, let's give ourselves a tiny break here and there. Mm-hmm. If we make the same time. Uh, we should be down there in plenty of time. We drop the sails, and this is about 100 miles south, 100, 150 miles south. We're like, let's fire up the engine. So we kind of keep going in the same direction, set our little autopilot stingy thing, and we're like, this is weird. We feel like we're not going anywhere. And we're like, it's stuck in neutral. (laughs) I put it in drive, and I'm like cranking the throttle, and I'm like, it's not flipping over. Put it in reverse. Still, so so we're all thinking, it's not engaging when you shift gears. Let's take the cap off and take a look. So we're looking at it, and we're we're thinking, okay, it looks like it's shifting. It looks like it's engaging. So they put the GoPro on a stick, and you can view the live footage streaming from the Bluetooth of your cell phone. And they dunk the GoPro underwater to check out the engine. There's no propeller. The <laughs> propeller <laughs> fell off our engine. This is our saving grace. This thing is like if we're the far, bro. comes down, if the standing rig breaks and all that crashes down, that's okay. As long as our motor works, we will motor into shore. Yeah. Well, now our saving grace motor does not work, <laughs> dude. We were, and we were far. What, what was that like? I was like, it was just, dude. Well, it was like it was the nail on the coffin, bro. It was like, <sighs> well, right away, angry at uh, who, who's getting a bad Yelp review? Oh yeah, the the guys from uh, Pacific Marine Offshore Marine or yeah, something Pacific like that. Yeah, Pacific Offshore Marine. You guys are going to get torn up on Yelp tonight. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for reminding me. Thanks for loctiting the. Uh, brought our motor into them, and they just work on motors. And it was like, here's our engine. We're sailing to Cabo. It works great already. It was perfect. It fired up first try. It never died on us. It was already in mint condition. But hey, can you run through it all and do whatever it needs to do? Because this thing cannot die on us on our sailing trip. They had it in the shop for five days. They gave it back to us without even the cap back on and the, the rubber seal hanging off to the side. And they're telling us, oh, just glue that on. Like, why well, no. didn't you glue it on for us? Yeah. It charges $250 for who knows what they did. And the propeller fell off. Shoots off the back. Thousands of feet. Thanks. (laughs) We're like, we're like, I think we're like probably 30 or 40 miles off the coast. Like we were far. I mean, you can kind of see a distance, like the hills in the, in the, on the distance on the horizon and we're just floating and we're like, oh my God. Like if that happened when we were a hundred miles out or if we were in trouble, if you were in trouble, we're in in trouble and the sail comes ripping down and we have no sail anymore and we have no motor. And the sail had already been ripping. (laughs) But, uh, but like the whole mass can come down if you're in a big storm and those standing rigs that hold the whole mast up, if those rip out and now it's completely torn off and you don't have a sail, 
and then the motor doesn't work because the mechanic didn't tighten up the back little screw or put the little pin in to hold it in there. We're we're effed out there, 100 miles offshore. One star Yelp review. You're, you're jumping oh. onto a dinghy, and let me tell you, I, I was floating around on that dinghy. He was telling you how we we're having fun. I think barely held me up. <laughs> yeah, so that's funny. This is how our dinghy situation would have been if we all had <laughs> abandoned ship. It would have been one in the in the dinghy and two off the side holding on that shark bait. That's how our setup would have been because that thing would not have held the three of us. Oh man! So, so that was when you were like, okay, that's it, dude. And it was it sucks because like we we had we had come to an agreement that we were going to do this. You know, we were already kind of beyond the eight ball a little bit because <clears throat> you know the storm had kind of increased, decreased, increased, decreased, and it was kind of just floating around Acapulco. And we're like, dude, let's just go. And we were already, like, we had just kind of wasted a day and a half pretty much in the Turtle Bay kind of deciding what we needed to do. And then we finally, another day later, the, the engine breaks. And now we're in half, a little less than halfway in between the two places where we wanted to be. And we're like, oh, dude. And there's, it's not like there's a mechanic shop, you know, that holds eight horsepower. You're not on propeller. the highway. You're not yeah. on, on the major highway. You can just be like, well, let's just pull over at the so next this gas is, So this is the other funny thing. So we go... All right. Well, I knew I knew where we were because I'd been. I bought this little Mexico guidebook and I forced everybody to read it over and over and over again, so we can kind of like figure out where we were on the GPS and everything. <clears throat> so there was a surf spot that we wanted to surf at anyway. So we sail in at night, mind you, uh, to what we thought was like a safe anchorage spot, but we weren't any any more bays. It was just kind of like. Luckily, there was no big swell in the water. Otherwise, we would have really been screwed. But. In order to successfully anchor, you need to have an engine to pull you in reverse because that's the way the anchor can gra- to grab because it goes off the front. So I was sailing. I'm up at the front with the anchor, and I Roy's got the or Scott's got the rudder, and we're sailing under power like at night, super slow. And I'm like, okay, listen. And I don't know what the depth is because it's dark. I'm looking at the GPS and thinking like, okay, zoomed in all the way. Hopefully we don't hit. There's no lights. Hopefully we don't hit the shore before we stop. And I'm sitting up at the front. I'm like, okay, when I tell you, drop all the sails immediately. And Scott, like, we're thinking we're going to just do a power slide kind of thing and <laughs> grab the anchor. And I throw the anchor overboard. And we have, like, we bought the big dog anchor. It was, like, heavier than we needed, 50 feet of extra chain, 150 feet of line. Like, this thing was going to be able to all-weather anchor. Like, we're good. <clears throat> which it was. And I'm glad it, when we gave it to the guy, the, the church and everything, it still had the tag on it, which was kind of funny, too. Um, <laughs> But we anchor and we set the GPS uh, to like the slippage timer thing. So if we if we move more than 100 feet, the alarm goes off. The alarm went off like three or four times in the middle of the night because like we're just anchor slipping and we're just floating. Who knows where? You know, we wake up the next morning when we like 150 feet away from some rocks, <laughs> or or a football field and a half away from rocks is what Roy says. <laughs> How many football fields is that? Yeah. Uh, like, well, one or two. I'm not sure. But, like, we were just drifting towards rocks. Like, we didn't know. Woke up at, like, 5 a.m. just after an uneasy sleep. So how did you transition to, like, how did you figure out a new charity to give it to or a new, like, like where it would go to? Well, because we had accomplished the goals. Yeah, so so basically we decided to sail back to Turtle Bay because that was the only safe port that we knew. Um, And we had spoken to this lady, Dawn, from the Destiny sailboat, the 85-foot boat that was caught in Hurricane Blanca. And she was like, yeah, the Baja Haha comes through here all the time. They they help a lot with the local – like getting the soccer field up, they did that. Um, they help with the church and stuff like that. It's a so tiny get, town, tiny dirt town, roads. yeah, dirt. Yeah, all, there's no, there's no paved. Just, there was one paved road as you leave, 
you know, and, and we had spoken with one of the local guys who's helping, who helped us, who drove me to get gas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I kind of explained to his situation, our situation. And he's like, yeah, I can put you in touch with the cheat. rudimentary Spanish. Yeah, I speak a little bit of Spanish. He spoke a little bit of English. And actually, my Spanish got a lot better on the trip, which was kind of cool. Um, so I, I guess I learned something on the trip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, he, uh, we explained our situation. He's like, yeah, I do, like, I'll do all the trash for the, the, the village. Um, he helps with the water, like getting water on the streets for when it's super dusty. Um, and, and he works with the church and stuff like that. So basically we set it up with him, uh, through the lady that we spoke with and, and the church and stuff. And we're like, you know, like we want to make sure that this thing goes to the right community and, and you guys use it th- for the right reasons and stuff. And it seemed like it was again, the right thing to do because at the end of the day, it's not like we were going to sail home and call it a complete failure. Yeah. But, uh, and it, and it was actually, it actually ended up working out because finally when I got in touch with the lady, the, the original lady I was going to give it to in Cabo. She was like, oh, well, we were having some issues with customs, so I, I kind of forgot to get back to you and tell you we, we weren't going to be able to uh, get the boat anyway. So could you imagine us sailing around the, the arch, arches in, in Cabo and being like, hey, uh, Caroline, this is, um, this is Ryan calling you again. Uh, 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 we're here. Like, what's going on? Oh, sorry. She, yeah, oh, uh, I meant to siento. send you an email, but uh, – Yeah, I forgot to send you the email is what she said to me. I was like <laughs> – Thanks, lady. Because it was already an uphill battle with her. Because first she was super excited, and then she's like, "Oh, what about customs?" I was like, "Look, I'll just sell you the boat for a dollar. You won't have to pay any import fees." I already, I already spoken to a bunch of customs officials and stuff. We actually spoke to them in Ensenada as well. And I said, "Hey, I think I'm going to sell the boat. It's only worth hundred bucks." They're like, oh, "Okay, you know, you're going to have to deal with that down there." I was like, "Sure, no problem. I'll deal with it down there." And uh, anyway, so she ended up backing out of the deal anyway. So it kind of worked out. And I explained to her what our situation was. So she was still. Kind of cool with the deal. I mean, obviously cool with it because she backed out of the deal. <laughs> but you know, it went to the, it went to this town, and we actually wanted to. We, we a friend of ours as a, kind of a gag gift for <clears throat> the boat. They sent us a, a Wilson volleyball, you know, <laughs> the Wilson yeah, edition with the with the, the cast away. Yeah. So we're like, oh, let's go play uh, soccer with all the local kids with this volleyball or something. Uh, we didn't end up doing that, but that was that was <laughs> that was an, a plan. But they have like all these things and and. Um, I guess, yeah, the, it's going to go to between the watering, the trash, the church, whatever they're going to do it with, you know, whatever they do for the town, and then that soccer field. So are you guys, like, getting some withdrawal symptoms <laughs> or being, like, you're getting that uh, <clears throat> land sickness or wanting to get back out there? I mean, what are you going to do now? You well, don't have a boat anymore. So I was looking at this uh, timeshare, actually, we might do, and I saw this ad on Craigslist where this guy has a timeshare of uh, an even bigger boat. It's a uh, 32 Ericsson. And super cheap deal. They share it between six people. They're looking for a seventh partner. And it's a pretty cool gig. You, you put your name on the calendar of the days you want to get out there and kind of just it, sail around day sailing and stuff. So they won't let you take it to Cabo? Well, they might let us take it to Cabo, but I don't think they'll let us give it away. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so. guys, guess what? We gave it away. Uh, I got 50 bucks left over from the campaign, so who wants it? <laughs> Everybody gets $7. No, we uh, – we figured that this is going to be a better uh, idea for, A, our budgets because um, we're not in any position to buy a brand-new $10,000 boat <laughs> at yeah. this point. And um, for our schedules also, you know, because, like, mm-hmm. we're gone a lot. And it's silly to have a boat that we're spending, you know, 600 bucks a month in on slip fees uh, just sit in the harbor. Um, but we're definitely not going to stop sailing, I think. That's all. You guys made it, dude. You did it. Like, yeah, we did it. And and again, like, man, I'm super bummed. And I and I feel like to a certain extent we didn't do it. But at the same time, you know, like uh, everybody's stoked that we're alive. Um, We're stoked that we're alive. I didn't have any doubt in that. However, you know, there were so many unforeseen things that had happened in the three or or the five days that we were on 
in the first three days and then the five days that we're on our trip or six days we're on our trip that who knows what would have happened on the second leg of the journey. Uh, someone's head gets cracked open or someone slips. Like, there's a lot of things. Someone gets yeah, eaten by a shark. Your finger stuck in the uh... – <laughs> In those, uh, in the cleat, you know, oh, chop your finger off. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're 20 miles from shore. Hang tight. Wrap that, wrap that uh, towel around it. Like, <laughs> that, that stuff happens all the time on sale. You know, oh, so yeah. it's, there's a lot of, you're vulnerable and you're far out there. So yeah. Well, dude, great story, man. I and mean, and I've, I've been, like I said, looking through the video <clears throat> and stuff like that. Dude, the video yeah, well, is so So when's, when should people expect a Fandango well, <clears throat> adventure video? Yeah. Hopefully, you know, within the next month or so the it's a lot of foot. I mean, we were trying to figure out today how much footage we had. It's like several, like 20-something hours, 30 hours of footage that I have to catalog and stuff. <clears throat> and um, and hopefully we're going to make like, you know, 15, 20-minute little documentary about it. Um, so hopefully in the next couple months, I just got to I just gotta sit down and, and bang it out. I'm going to be traveling for the next three weeks. So Yeah, I was going to say, what's the next trip? <clears throat> um, I go to London on Tuesday for the Millennium event. Uh, then I have a week off in Europe and then have a clinic up in Manchester or just outside of Manchester. Then I fly back home for two days and I go out to Toronto for Crazy Bill's paintball clinic. And then it's two weekends of practice and then the next NXL. Yeah. And then we got Alex Frazier's wedding in August. Yes, we do have Alex Frazier's wedding. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to Ryan Brand's wedding? Yeah, I'll be at both of those. So will I. Yeah, you're officiating, Ryan. Yes, I am. Both nice. of those, actually. Really? Oh, you are. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's my side gig, so if you want to get married, yeah. <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> hit me up. Here's my number. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I really appreciate you guys coming in and, uh, you know, looking forward to hearing the tales from the next adventure. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys both play at the next event. And, uh, you know, I mean, the last one was pretty crazy, a lot of crazy stories. And then, obviously, you guys made it through your, uh, your nautical adventure. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean – that's pretty cool, man. I, it, was there any times when you're just kind of out there in the open ocean, like, I'm really stoked we did this, or was it kind of like heightened state attention the whole time? No, you, you, it, was, it was pretty laxed. I mean, the biggest thing, dude, you, you're kind of you're in pain, and it wasn't like all hands on deck all the time unless we caught a fish because it was like one person hold the camera, one person hold the tiller, and then and the hit person. it with the fire, or the fire <laughs> Yeah, or? pretty much. But, you know, it, it was pretty mellow, man. We didn't, we didn't hit any real rough seas. It, it kind of sucked sometimes because it, was, it got cold at night. Uh, it got really cold. Scott had his underwear wrapped around his face at some point in time. It was cold. <laughs> we didn't anticipate that, but you know, it was it was it was cool, dude. You know, relaxing to a certain extent. Um, if we had some lounge chairs or some nicer nicer seats, then you would have definitely been cruising. You know. Yeah, we. I mean, we definitely <laughs> didn't um, tune the boat up for for luxury comfort, and yeah. comfort because we obviously our priority list was our safety and survival stuff, but we didn't even bring like cushions for the seat, like. <laughs> Like, there's so many little things that make the trip so much more comfortable. Yeah. I was talking to my buddy who we used to sh share a boat with uh, last night and I was telling him all about it. And he's like, man, you guys didn't even invest in, like, those comfortable little seats. Wouldn't you, like, take like, to the ball game? Yeah, take exactly. Take to the yeah. ball game. Exactly. Maybe yeah. even make them for the boat, you know, like, 50 bucks. And, like, our backs and tailbones would be feeling a lot better. But, like, <laughs> no, we didn't get that. It was like. <laughs> when we got to Turtle Bay, dude, I felt like I just survived a car accident. Like, yeah. I was just so sore. I'd never been that sore in my life. Still kind of like tight. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, again, thank you guys for stopping by, and yeah, thank, you. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're hopefully going to be bringing you guys some more Real Deal podcasts. Uh, again, definitely check out the uh, the sales from uh, Die Precision this month at your brick and mortar paintball stores, and also your online outlets. Um, got deals on uh, free barrel uh, if you pick up a uh, um, one of their guns or. Uh, uh, also loaders and mass deals as well too and then yeah nxl events coming up 
And um, yeah, man, I'm sorry for our little break, but uh, but we're back. So and also, you know, help us spread the word too, man. Help us spread the uh, the word about the podcast here. Um, like us and uh, subscribe, and uh, and yeah, spread the word about paintball, man. Take someone out to play. All right. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you, it. Anyone Thanks, give man. a shout out to your sponsors again? Yeah, you know, uh, they did help make it happen. Big, big thanks to uh, HK Army, Planet Eclipse, uh, the NXL, uh, Bart Yakmak, and uh, Badlands Paintball. Um, and then, you know, there's there's a myriad of other um, individuals who helped out that I'm going to put a list up on and especially thank them as well. Awesome. All right, well, wish you guys the best on your next <laughs> adventure, and we will see you guys next time. Peace.